0: Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to grow in your journey of faith. We believe that hope is for everyone. So, no matter where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we believe Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. So again, thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy today's message. Man, how many of you know that God's
1: good? You know, and and how many how many of you know that that in the midst of whatever you might be going through, there is something that God offers each and every one of you that goes beyond your understanding. And it goes beyond an ability to explain it with human explanation. And that's this thing called peace. And last week we kicked off our Advent series. We talked about hope. And today I want to talk to you about this idea that while we wake, we can experience peace. That's right. So we actually already read our opening scripture, but would you turn to the book of Isaiah chapter nine again? Um, and we're going to just read verses six through seven. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word this morning. And it says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given and the government will rest on his shoulders. This goes for all you Facebook politicians out there. <laughs> Don't elbow your neighbor. And he will be called. Look at this. Look at this list. Wonderful counselor. The, these are going to be keywords for today's sermon. The mighty God, everlasting father, and here it is, prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And and you know what's going to do this? The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now turn over to the New Testament before you take a seat. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the magic screen behind me. And there's also a physical Bible underneath your chair. And it says this, and let the peace, say with me, "peace, peace, and let the peace that comes from Christ Uh, rule in your hearts. Did you know something is going to rule your hearts while you're waiting? Something's going to take over your heart while you're in a waiting period. And so Paul says, let the peace of God, for, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask now that you would mold us, shape us into the liking of Jesus. And as we wait, Lord, for his second coming, and as we prepare in this Advent series for the celebration of his first coming, even if it's thousands of years later, God, we know that there is a great anticipation in our hearts for what you are going to do. And so I pray that you would minister peace to every person in this room as we look to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen amen and amen. You may be seated. When I was a young lad, a very, very long time ago, uh, I was about eight years old when I fell in love with the drums. And and all I ever wanted from that point on was to learn how to play the drums, sit behind a drum kit, and, and play for the drums at Church And and so I began to to, to take lessons from somebody at the church. How many of you know that that the body of Christ is a beautiful thing and the local church is a beautiful thing because they'll train you, they'll raise you up. And and so thankfully I had good mentors in my life. And and, and for four years, I would every day after school ride my bike to the church so that I could practice the drums because I didn't have a drum set at home. And, and back then, I don't know about the, how you were raised, but I was raised by parents that if you really wanted something, you had to work for it. Yeah. Anybody raised like that, right? Uh, nowadays, we make it a little e- too easy for our kids, in my opinion, and I'm guilty of that too. But anyway, that's not—that's a different story for a different time. And so, for four years, my dad said, "Hey, if, if you want a drum kit at home, you're going to raise money. You're going to work for that money, and you are going to buy for that. You're going to buy that drum kit all on your own." And so. Fast forward for the next four years of my life, from the age of eight to 12, I went around the neighborhood and I would offer my neighborhood kid, uh, friends uh, to, to fix their bike tires. If they need, had a leaky tube, I learned how to do that and, and I'd do it for five bucks, you know, and they needed some WD-40 on a bike chain, I'd go and charge them two bucks to do that, you know, and, and I began to mow lawns and this, for four years, you guys, I saved up my money. And I remember we lived about 30 blocks down the road from the music store. So I went to the music store one day, and I looked at this drum kit, and you know, back then I think it was like three three hundred and fifty dollars or something like that for a twelve-year-old kid. That was a lot of money back in the nineties. Okay, come on, nineties kids. Actually, I was born in the eighties, but that's a different story. And and so I'm twelve years old. I walk into the store and I look at this drum kit and two hundred or three hundred and fifty dollars, and I knew that that was my goal. And so I worked and I worked and I worked, and the day came that I had three hundred and fifty dollars. And by the way, there was no sale tax in Oregon. So it it was in Oregon, and so it was $350 down to that last penny. I walk myself into that music store, and I I, I go to buy the drum kit, and the guy looks at me, and he goes, how do you plan on taking this home, kid? I look at my bike, and I look at the 30 blocks uphill. I go, "I, I don't know, but I got to find a way. So I said, can, back then there was no cell phones. So I said, can I use your shop telephone? And he says, yes. I knew that my dad it, it would answer the phone. So I called my dad. I said, dad, I'm at the music store. Uh, it was right after school. I said, I'm at the music store and I need you to come and pick me up and pick up my drum set. Because I just bought my first drum set. And my dad was a pastor. He's like, son, I've got meetings till like eight o'clock tonight. Call your mom. I call my mom. She's like, son, I've got meetings till like nine o'clock tonight. We, we can take you afterwards or we can take it tomorrow. But how many of you know, after I waited for four years, I was not going to wait a single minute more. So I hung up the phone and I rode my bike back up to my house, all 30 blocks. I looked around the garage. And I said, I can got a skateboard that I can take apart, and I got a piece of plywood that I can screw onto the trucks into those wheels, and I've got some rope. And so what I did is I tied rope to that uh, old skateboard and piece of plywood, and I rode down 30 blocks again. And I said, put that drum set into a shipping box for me. They put it into a box, I stuck it on that piece of plywood, and with twine, I tied it, and I rode my bike all 30 blocks uphill, and I took that darn thing home because I was not going to wait a single moment more. And and while that story may be full of virtue and stamina and hard work, and maybe even heroic efforts, if you will, none of us can deny that waiting is excruciating for most of us. Right? Even the things that we've waited for and we've already been waiting for. It's like I've got a track record of being patient with this thing. But it's like when hope is on the horizon, you don't want to wait any longer. Am I right? But I wonder as we go into this season of Christmas, I wonder how many of us have things in our lives that we've been waiting for. That much like the people of God have been waiting and longing for decades, for hundreds of years for this promised king to come. And by the way, they expected this big, marvelous, powerful king and he comes in this humble form of a baby who poops and pees and spits up. Right? And I wonder what happens when we are in a waiting period. Do we allow turmoil to our hearts and to guide our hearts or do we allow peace to rule our hearts see last week I asked you what where and who do you put your hope in this week I want to ask you what rules your heart during a season of waiting because you're either in a season of waiting right now or you're getting ready to enter into a season of waiting some of you are waiting for God to answer some prayers and you're ready to give up Some of you are waiting for your spouse to change, and let me tell you, the more you focus on how they need to change and less about how much you need to change, that process is just going to be prolonged. Just rule life for you here. Okay, some of you are waiting for God to fix something that, by the way, he's actually trying to break all the way first. Some of us are about to enter into a season where we're we're going, God, I've been waiting and I've waited long enough. And the question is, what will rule your heart? And my deep longing desire for you as your pastor this morning and as you enter this season of Christmas and Advent is that you would experience the beautiful, miraculous peace of God in your heart. I'm not talking about some cheap semblance of peace. See, here's what I, my, my, my concern, my slight concern about Christmas sometimes is that we have this over-commercialized version of this cute little peaceful baby, Jesus. And we, we tie our peace to this baby that has to actually stay quiet and peaceful in order for us to be at peace. And so this image of cute lights and, and family gatherings where no one's fighting and you all pretend like you've loved each other perfectly for 11 months. Right in this in this image of this cute little baby Jesus. But by the way, like I put up my lights before Thanksgiving, okay? Like I got Santa on a Harley Davidson blown up on my roof, okay? Like I am all for it. My my biggest concern right now is my power bill, but we're gonna cross that bridge when we get there. Okay? And family gatherings are great, and, and the image of Jesus is great, but when we put our hope on the fact that we will only have peace as long as this baby stays peaceful and he makes all of our world go round and everything go perfect and fine and dandy, then we've got a feeble, fickle, weak peace. And what I want for you more than anything is that you would look around you and look at how this world is is in turmoil. Look at maybe your family members or whatever is out of whack in your life. And somehow in the midst of all this storm around you, there would be an anchoring hope and peace in your life. See, what happens when your life and everything around you attempts to rock you and rob you of your peace? What do you look to? I want to tell you today there is only one who is the Prince of Peace. And hear me when I say this. He can be trusted to be your peace. Why? I'm glad you asked. Because I believe the book of Isaiah actually gives us more than just a Christmas scripture. It gives us an everyday promise of a God that is the Prince of Peace and when we put our hope and our peace in Him and we find our peace in Him we actually get and the book of Isaiah lays it out very clearly we get three beautiful things out of the deal the first thing is we get a wonderful counselor he is a wonderful counselor Isaiah 9 6 says he will be called wonderful counselor there is a peace When you and I know that we haven't been left to our own devices. There is a peace in knowing that I don't have to have all the answers. There is a peace in knowing I ain't got to have it all figured out all the time. Come on, men. Let me talk to you for a quick second. And I don't want to offend you by overgeneralizing. But for the most part, most of us men have been conditioned by society and culture and the way we were raised to always have it all figured out. And you've got to have the answers, which is why when your wife is just trying to dump and process on you, you're already trying to figure out the, the problem solving in your head. And she's going, you're not listening. Yeah, because I'm problem solving, woman. <laughs> right? Anybody? <laughs> but in spite of what culture has taught you and I, it is okay for you to not have it all figured out. Can I talk to you about that, that? the reality of God the Father sending Christ, His Son, to be our peace? It means you don't have to figure everything out based on your own experience, your own knowledge, your own intelligence. I'm telling you, men and women, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. And, and you know what I love about that? That, that in the original Hebrew language here. The closest translation that we get for this word, wonderful, isn't so much a feeling word as much as it is a a, a supernatural, miraculous word. So this word, wonderful, is actually better translated to be supernatural. Out of this world, beyond human origin. By the way, this is why it's good for you to know your Bible. Because it's not just, oh, this wonderful person that just kind of gives me some good advice there is a supernatural come on church wisdom that comes and and gray hairs in the room help me out you you that have been walking with Jesus for a long time you know that to follow Christ is to receive miraculous counsel and you know that to follow Christ means when I don't know what to do When I don't know what to say, the Word says that His Spirit will quicken my tongue to say what I need to say in that moment. The Word of God says that His Spirit dwells in me and through me and it empowers me to go beyond my own human box and inabilities to know what to do, when to do it, and who to do it with. Yet we have a God who is a wonderful counselor. And when I put my hope and peace in Him and not my own intelligence, not what the world tells me, not what Google tells me, come on somebody, not what yahoo.com tells me, not what askjeeves.com tells me, come on 90s kids. No, I put it in the wonderful, miraculous, hear me, supernatural counsel of the Prince of Peace. And so to, to follow him is actually to receive miraculous counsel. And you might be wondering, well, how do I tap into that? Well, let me just give you four quick things. Number one, you tap in through it to, to, into it through his word. Yeah. Did you know that his word is filled with great counsel for you? Yeah. But here's my concern, my friend, and I know some of you have heard me preach for now five years, and, and, and some of you have even been bold enough to ask me, when are you going to get off this? And I've had to boldly tell you never, I'm not, never going to get off of this. And, and, and it's this, it's this, this is why it's important for you to know your word. Because, see, my concern as a pastor is I have many people, and, and if you're one of them, I'm not trying to guilt you, I, I, I'm going to journey with you, we're going to help you through this. But a lot of people will come to me and go, I just don't feel like God's talking to me. I need a word, Pastor. Or, you know what, I just feel like God's distant. Or I just feel like he's not, like I don't hear him. And in my first question, if you've sat in my office, is talk to me about this. And and the constant response is, I just don't. uh, eh, eh, uh, mm, uh, 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 uh." I told you I wanted to be a drummer my whole life. I was asked the other day if those things are planned, and I'm like, no, that's just... That's just Tony. We had, we had our staff and elders Christmas party this Friday um, at one of our elders' house. And, and his wife said to me before the service, she goes, you know, I've always known you and Sophia have a lively personality on stage. But man, you guys are the same behind the scenes. And I'm like, Yeah. I said, there is never a dull moment in our home because instead of having five different children, all five of our children just got like double the Tony and Sophia craziness. So yeah, some of you were like, oh, we would love to have your family over all seven. No, you don't. <laughs> and please don't be offended when I say no, I'm saving you. Okay? That's neither here nor there. His counsel comes through his word. And you want to hear from God, open his word. You, you, want, you, want, you want him to feel close to you? Because here's, here's my problem is that he actually is always ever present. It's just that you and I are driven by our feelings a little too much if we're honest sometimes. And feelings are good. It's just they're not good dictators of the reality sometimes. And so if you want to experience his nearness, start with his word. Number two, his, his counsel comes from beautiful moments in his presence. Much like what we just had today, right? Moments before this. Yep. You know, we come in and we, we think we're just going to, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Like we've got, we've got our services laid out, right? We've got a plan. We've got to be on time. There's people online. There's a second service. There's moving parts for kids. Church, there's all this stuff. And, and we come in and then God just wrecks us yep. and goes, I'm actually going to do my own thing. And it's in moments in His presence, my friend, and if we don't have the time and the space where we're not, hear me, in a hurry, when we're not just trying to get through a church service, where we're not just trying to get through our devotions in the morning, but where we're going, God, you are the owner of time and space. You are the holder of all things. I, give, I want moments in your presence where I receive the supernatural counsel of my God. The third thing is that His Spirit dwelling within you. Some of you have got to just walk in this confidence. Christ in you is the hope of glory. You are, listen, my friend, I don't want to offend you when I say this, but you're not as dumb as you think you are. I mean, maybe you are, but through the spirit of God. Come on. My youth pastor growing up used to, used to tell me, Tony, you want to seem smart? Get into the word of God, right? I wasn't real bright. <laughs> I was an average D student. <laughs> his spirit dwells within you, and if it and if his spirit is in you, my friend, I know I'm, I know I'm being kind of funny with this, but let me let me get serious about this for a second. You got to walk in the confidence that you are not left to your own thoughts and devices. It's not just you and your experience and what people have told you. It's, it's you and the Spirit of God. Yeah, right. yes. Yes. Like, I, I don't know. I know this is another sermon for another time, but I, I feel like some of you are, are just... And, and I've fallen in this trap where I walk as if I'm, like, helpless to life. Mm-hmm. Like, this world is happening to me. And, like, oh, what was me. And, like, oh, this is happening to me. I don't even know what to do. And it's like, no, no, Do you know that Christ is in you. Yes. That greater is he. By the way, this isn't just some Pentecostal thing to shout out and get some amens. This is truth found in the word of God. To go, no, no, no. Greater is he who is living in me. That he who is in the world. He offers me sound advice. I can trust in what he says. He is operating me. I don't have to go looking for him. He's, he's right here. Yeah. Yeah. You, so true. Here's the other one. His wonderful counsel comes through his people. Through his saints. And I'm just going to say this really quickly because i got to keep moving. And that's this. Do not close your life off and live in a, such an isolated manner where no one can speak into your life. I ended my service, our service last week on, on this very topic. Where you're so isolated, where no one gets to, to approach you. My question is, are you even approachable? Some of you are surrounded by wisdom, but that wisdom doesn't even get near you because they know through your body language, through your, through, through your actions, through your words, that you're just not approachable. Yeah. 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 And I'm telling you, at least my approach with people is I'm not going to force my way into your life. We got to be a people that are approachable. Yeah. They go, man, if I want God's supernatural counsel, I got to be open to people. They're going to be, they're, they're going to mess up. I'm going to tell you right here, right now. They're going to mess up. They're not going to get it right all the time. But God uses his people for wonderful counsel. Uh, I said I would give you four, right? But, but I'm going to give you five because I, I do one extra push-up every time. Because I'm a man. <clears throat> Just kidding. I'm joking, you guys. It's a joke. This is what happens when you're the scrawniest kid in class growing up. You have to, like, make up for it. Um, uh, and that's this, the gathering of the saints. Good. There is wonderful counsel when the saints gather. And I know I preached the daylights out of this last week, so I'm not going to push it anymore. But just know gathering is mandated. Gathering is a privilege. Gathering is where you and I come together and we not just glorify the king, but we edify one another. And here's the thing, I got to speed this up. Here's the thing about receiving counsel from him is that because he's sovereign, uh, you can actually count that every piece of counsel you get from him is good. Like we're talking about you have free access to the wonderful counselor who sees and knows all things, beginning and end and in between. Like that's the kind of guy I want to go to. Right? The guy that already knows what's going to happen. Totally. Show me. But here's what we do sometimes, if we're honest, is we make decisions and then we pray and ask God to bless those decisions. Hey, God, I know I didn't include you in this process, but will you bless this? You won't even need to ask for his blessing if you put him at the beginning of that process and you're going to be walking out in his will, okay? Okay, Psalm thirty-three, eleven. it says this, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Look at that. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. I want you to know when you tap into the peace of Christ and he becomes your wonderful counselor, your children and your children's children will benefit from this. I'm standing here before you today because someone in my family just one generation removed from filth and, 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 a, and adultery and, 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 and alcoholism and drug addiction and prostitution and, and, all this, and, 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 and all this stuff. One person decided to go, I'm going to trust on the counsel of the Lord that stands forever. Mm-hmm. And as a result, result of that, so can I just tell you right here, right now, you're here in church. You might be the first person in that family line. Yeah. Come on. Your children's children. That's right. they, they, those are the ones that are hanging in the balance. Yeah. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart are from generation to generation, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. This is why. And I, I just want to preach this to you really quickly before we go on to point number two. And if we don't get to point number three, that's okay. Um, you have it in your notes already and you can study it out. But this is why next week is not just a cute show. It's not just, oh, let's put the kids up on stage and kind of do a cute thing. No, no, no. We want our children to understand that they've got a voice to be able to spread the message of hope. Yeah. That they too, whether it's through art, through speaking, through through drama, through song, that they too cannot just experience a junior Holy Spirit, but a real spirit that dwells within them and they become voices to them and, and, and people that testify and witness. And, and so that's why, I'm kidding you, I'm not kidding. This is why we didn't choose to do this like on a random night. Like we're taking over the whole service because they're going to be just as effective at preaching the gospel because the counsel of the Lord is what? From generation to generation. Okay? You are receiving and implementing counsel from somewhere. At all times. What's your source? Number two. He's a mighty God. And if I haven't preached yet, y'all, I'm about to preach. <laughs> okay, look at this. And he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. Mighty God. Get ready because I'm about to take you to a scripture that some of you are like, during Christmas, we're going here, just. Your heart can be at peace because he's actually not weak. And the problem sometimes with Q. Little nine pounds, eight ounces Jesus is that we liken that in our human way of thinking and our filter of like this cute, you know, little Jesus. Right? And he's in a manger. And then we sing, and by the way, you know, on the 24th, we'll be singing the same songs, and, and, it, and we've got, like, yes, there's a moment of contemplation, there's a moment of, of stillness, you know, and when we sing, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. That might have been the case here on earth, but the book of Revelation, chapter 12, paints to us a picture of what was taking place in the heavenlies during this time. And I know some of us are just far too smart to think that there is a spiritual war going on. But just appease me for a second. Because Revelation paints a picture of what's taking in the spiritual realm that I don't know if many of us are aware of this. That at the time of Jesus' birth, we read in Revelation 12, 1 through 17, it's a lot to read, I'm going to read it all to you. It says, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Come on, moms. (laughs) Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, capital S, a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was cut off, caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought. But he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The one who receives the, de- excuse me, deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Does that sound familiar, Handel's Messiah? Does that sound familiar, Isaiah? Because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice you heavens. And you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with a great fury, because he knows his time is short. Oh, my Lord, if I was preaching, I would preach this right here. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. From his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Look at this. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from its mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to testimony about Jesus. Amen. Yeah. You see, what, you see my concern about cute, nine-pound, eight-ounce, poopy pee Jesus? If you and I do not have this perspective of Christmas and of what took place in the battle of your soul, then you and I run the risk of thinking we're talking about a weak, measly God. Who is just as fickle as our circumstances. Who is just as sensitive as our emotions. I'm not preaching against that, by the way. I'm probably the most sensitive man you've ever met. Thank you. My wife knows. In the Hebrew language here, mighty God actually meant mighty warrior. The coming of Jesus signifies that there is now a constant thwarting of the schemes and plans of the enemy against your life. So while we sing silent night and holy night and all is calm, all is bright, thanks be to God that that's what we experience on earth. But let us not forget what price was paid in the heavenlies. That as this dragon, as the enemy of your souls is, is battling to, so that this woman would not give birth to the son, the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the mighty warrior came out victorious. Yes. And so some of you today, I got to get this in your spirit that you don't walk around. I guess if God would just listen to this poor soul. This is why we talked about this last week, that we boldly approach. Why? Because we are talking about a God who is mighty. Man, come on. Some of y'all got to go back to your nursery rhymes, right? Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing I cannot do for you. Some of y'all didn't know that, and that's okay. Church jokes. I probably should stay away from them. But our experience of peace in this broken world does not come through cute, little majestic, nine pounds, eight ounces, Jesus. No, 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 it comes, hear me church, from a mighty king who rules and reigns forever. I posted this on my social media and I just want to declare this over you. This Christ we're talking about, this mighty warrior that we're talking about, He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our love. He is your great defender, as Revelation just said. The one who silences the mouth of the accuser and defeated your enemy. The one who sets the captive free. Come on, you're here and maybe you're living in chains. I'm telling you, Jesus is here to set you free. The one that calls you and I his brothers and his sisters. The one that doesn't abandon you. Your friends might let you down. Your own family might abandon you. I'm telling you Christ will not leave you nor forsake you. I'm talking about Christ that rose from the dead. I'm talking about the rose of Sharon, the King of glory, the almighty Savior who was and is and always will be. This is our mighty God. And so our confidence and our peace in the midst of whatever might come is not in what we see and experience, it's in who He is. If you don't believe me, well, just write these scriptures down really quickly because I've got eight minutes if we're going to end on time today and we will because that's my Christmas present to you guys for the next four weeks. <laughs> Deuteronomy ten seventeen: for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Psalms 24, 8. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Exodus 15, 3. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is His name. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 25. After that, the end will come when He will turn the kingdom of God over to the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until He humbles all the enemies beneath His feet. I understand that over the last several centuries of Christianity, the the atonement theory that most of us would hold is the belief that that Jesus has come to replace us uh, or excuse me, to, to stand in our place and through his. Death, burial, and resurrection—we now get what he deserved, and he got what we deserved, and that's right, and that's good. Um, but but can I just bring you back to the first three centuries of Christianity? Uh, the the predominant atonement theory that was given to the church was actually this of uh, this Latin phrase called Christus Victor. In other words, Christ is victorious. And most of us nowadays, like I said, we emphasize what's known as the penal subsi- subsi- excuse me, substitutionary atonement, which is what I just explained, right? That Christ came and stood in our place. But, but, the, but the heralded uh, atonement theory and what was given to our forefathers for the first three centuries is that Christ rules and reigns victorious over all things. Yeah. Yeah. And so church didn't relate with him so much out of just this, oh, I'm a sinner, and I deserve gra- and I don't deserve the grace, but I got it, so I'm thankful, which by the way, that's all good, good theology to have, but their predominant relationship with Christ was, I'm approaching somebody who's victorious. Yes. That's right. So the primary thought in the early church was, I'm talking about a mighty, strong God. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but what you have first in your mind will absolutely change how you view everything else. Yes, yep, yep. And so, interestingly enough, the, the part about Jesus that you and I oftentimes have a hard time accepting is actually the opposite of what ancient Israel struggled to accept. Hear me on this, church. I wrote this down, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read it to you, so I can say it right. We're good with the atonement. We're good with dying on a cross. We're good with the fact that that he gave his life for us. And again, that's good. But so they actually struggled with that thought because their emphasis was he's a king. So how could a king do the lowliest of things? And so it's interesting how things have the more things change, the more they stay the same. But 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 it's interesting how our perspectives have shifted from the very thing we actually struggled to accept in modern Christianity is that he rules over us. Okay, see, we all got excited when I was talking about, he is victorious, he's defeated death, but then when it's like, oh, he's got to be Lord of my life? Like Jesus, I'm so good with the free gift. Like that's cool, yo, like my guy Chewy, thanks for hanging on that cross. Appreciate you coming out of that tomb. Thank you, my guy. Right. And and while you're at it, can you defeat all my enemies? And he's like, absolutely. Uh, but just don't lord over me. Uh-huh. Ouch. Oh. Ouch. Yeah. And I just want to tell you something very clearly. The word of God is very clearly that you can't even say Jesus is Lord without the help of the Spirit. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I, and I and I and I know I know this isn't a. Uh, a Holy Spirit message, but I just got to give you this real quick. Um, the reason why some of you maybe are actually kind of stuck in your relationship with God is because I, I think you've accepted Jesus as a friend and as a savior, but you haven't been infilled and indwelled with the spirit of God. You haven't had an encounter with the spirit of God that now allows you to go. He's Lord over my life. Yes, and, and I, could go, I could break this out theologically as well and tell you that even the church forefathers would actually argue to say you actually aren't fully saved unless you have an experience with the Spirit of God. That was their argument. So Paul and Peter, they would ensure people would actually experience the Holy Spirit and have an encounter to make sure they were actually saved. Because salvation isn't just I get this free gift, it's actually accepting He is Lord of my life. Yes. That's when now, now, that's when I'm sanctified. Oh my gosh, I know I'm getting in trouble here with time, but like this is where I now move from just being saved to yes. sanctified. Yes. Okay. Um, is that okay, Sophia? You're my theology. Okay, good. But actually, I got to tell you this. This, this, shouldn't just, this shouldn't just be like confrontative to you or heavy. This actually should be a relief. Like, you know what's the most free people I've ever met? No, they're not in charge. For real. It's
0: like,
1: Totally. And by the way, I wish I lived like that 24/7. I probably would have less panic attacks. I probably have less, you know, less urges to, to go and do things that I shouldn't do, and respond in ways that I shouldn't respond. But let, let me let me read to you what Dr. Michael Bird, uh, in his atonement um, theology book, actually talks about. Um, so so for those of you that, and I understand not all of you are theology nerds. I just think it's still Important for you to understand why we believe what we believe, okay? And so it's important for you to understand systematic theology. It's important for you to understand atonement theory. It's important for you to go beyond. And I just want to encourage you, and if you need resources for that, we've got... A great staff. I'm not bragging on our staff, but I am bragging on our staff. We've got a great staff that's growing and learning in this area. We've got great elders. We've got great resources for you. And we're not going to pretend like we got it all right or like we agree on everything, but there's some important things that you've got to dive into. And so, Dr. Michael Bird, who, who writes this beautiful systematic theology uh, on, on, on Christus Victor, on this idea that Christ is Victoria, victorious, says this Look at this Satan's force is spent. His worst was no match for the best of the Son of God. The fatal wound of Jesus deals a fatal blow to death. The powers of this present darkness shiver as the looming tsunami of the kingdom of God draws ever nearer. This is Paul's atonement theology. This is the victory of God. Our wonderful counselor, our mighty God. Not our weak, impartial, suggestive. And here's here's where I'm I'm about to land the plane. But here here's what I want to tell you: a king who rules doesn't make suggestions. Uh He he commands. And some of us are relating with Christ as if what he commands are suggestions. And we're wondering why our hearts are not at peace. And and I'm not talking about your psychological health. I'm talking about your soul health. Some of you are living in turmoil and you're not finding peace no matter what. And I would just ask you to look at this. Are you relating with God and his commandments as a suggestion from a buddy or a command from your king? Third and final point, the band can come up because they're going to close with a beautiful song and I want to give them time to do that. Are you getting something out of this this yes. morning? Okay, third and final point. He is the everlasting Father. Amen. There is peace in knowing. Hear me, church. Don't get distracted by the beautiful people that are coming up on stage. I know they're, 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 they're all handsome and good looking. There is peace in knowing. That you're not an orphan. There is peace in knowing that you are not just not left to your own devices. That you're not just the person that's trying to control your, own, your life and, and be the ruler and the king over your life. And that you got to fight your own battles. But no, there's also peace in knowing I have a father. I've not been thrown to the streets. I've not been orphaned. I've not been just rejected. No, it says in the word of God that through his spirit, you and I can now cry out, Abba, Father. Yes. And and Abba being the Aramaic uh, uh, word for the closest, most intimate verbiage of dad, daddy. And some of you, don't make it weird when you say daddy God, please, okay? Just like don't make it weird. I understand. It's an intimate thing. And I can't correct you because it's in the Bible. But just don't make it weird for us, okay? But But what's interesting to point out here is this, is that... This is actually not common language in the Old Testament to talk about God as a father. You know, we're we're post, you know, Old Testament, we're post cross. So like we read this and it's like almost normal to us to these people. They wouldn't dare and even say his name. See what we know nowadays. Hear me on this church. I'm landing the plane, but you got to hear me on this. What we now know is Yahweh was simply a breath. Was them going. because they wouldn't even utter his name out of a reverence, out of a fear. And so for Isaiah to to prophesy, you're going to have a nearness of God would have been mind-blowing. And some of us, because we're post-cross, we've taken that a little bit for granted. And we've got to go back to this understanding of holy smokes, I should be in awe Of the fact that I've got God the Father giving me the inheritance of His son and His daughter? There's a nearness. By the way, this is why He is Emmanuel, God with us. But also, and how many of you know? And fathers, let me just give you a little something, something about something that I've been learning lately. Your children need your sensitivity. They need your, your closeness. They need your patience. They need that soft, tender, available father while they also need that my dad will beat the you-know-what out of your dad. (laughs) They do. Your children are going to need to know I can go and cry on my dad's shoulder while I can also come running and cry to my dad. He's going to stand up for me. And he's going to be like, who? I'll never forget, believe it or not, I know you look at me now and I'm so handsome and all these things, I get it. It's a joke, you guys. You can laugh at me. Um, but growing up, I, I, was, I was a funny-looking kid. And I was real scrawny. i get picked on all the time. And I'll never forget what it was like to know that no matter what was happening, what fight I was getting into, or what bully was you know, doing his thing with me, I knew my dad would show up. And once my dad showed up, it'd be different. You have a heavenly father that is near, yes. that is sensitive, that is available, that is close and intimate. But you also gotta know your dad's willing to kick the trash out of whoever needs to be kicked out. Yes. Whatever enemy, and I'm not, and I and I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about the enemy of your soul. Yes. Right. Yes. Talking about you got a dad who doesn't abandon you. Yeah. He, he's an everlasting father. Yes. And that mighty right hand of his will up holds you while the other hand is fighting battles for you. I'm talking about a father that doesn't sleep or slumber or rest. I'm talking about that while you're laying your head on your pillow, this man's up there fighting battles that you may not even ever find out about. Come on, fathers, you know this. Like, make it personal to you. Come on, dads, we all know this. I was just talking to a, a, a friend just the other day about the struggle to fatherhood. And like, the, the tension you live of, of I gotta provide, but I also gotta be available. Like I wanna have the answers, but I don't always have the answers. Right? Like I'm feeling stressed, but I know I gotta present myself as, as strong and, and I got figure it figured out, and like, hey kids, and like I also don't want to like overdo it and spoil my kids, but I also want to give them a great childhood and like there's this come on, fathers, help me out with this. This is a God that's got all that figured out for you. Peace, real peace, will only come from the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, and the everlasting Father. Would you stand to your feet right now?
0: Thank you once again for joining us today. We hope today's message encouraged you, challenged you, and caused your faith to grow. If you enjoyed today's message, we highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss out on any future messages. To get to know us, to get connected with us, and to know how you can best partner with us, head to our website, LegacyChurchID.com, or come see us in person at our campus in Meridian, Idaho. We look forward to connecting with you. May God bless you, and have a great rest of your day.